This podcast is part of the Everyday Heroes Podcast Network, the network for first responders and those who support them. Hey guys, welcome to the Hero Academy podcast, the place where you can celebrate and highlight our frontline heroes. People such as nurses, firemen, EMS, police officers, and military are all heroes without capes. I don't care about politics, only positivity and purpose. I only care about those that have chosen to serve our society. I believe in collaboration over competition. Here, you'll learn the secrets and strategies that let ordinary people become extraordinary inside of their purpose. Sometimes we'll throw in some simple side hustles that everyday regular people are doing, things that you could do to make some extra money, especially if you're starting to think about retirement and what's next. Inside this podcast, each week you'll learn from people like you that were working full time but still found the time to create a course, grow a big team, create a coaching program, a large audience, or a profitable side hustle. The steps they took, their backstories, and how they overcame their burnout that they were facing. The perfect blend of mindset and techniques. Carpe diem. Now let's get your dream lit for your freedom. I'm your host and coach, Super Dave. Let's go. So how's retired life? Eh, I miss uh, I miss working. Uh, you know, I've got a good gig, a good full-time gig, and I work from home. Like I said, they give me a car and a credit card, and I travel, you know, five or six days a month maybe and still get to interact with cops, but it um, it's just not the same. And I, I, I enjoy, you know, I still get up at like 445 every morning, you know, the whole routine and everything, but I do also miss, you know, having somewhere to be a certain purpose. So those days that I, I have somewhere to actually go and have a mission, have a purpose that particular day, those are the ones I enjoy even yeah. better. Yeah, that makes sense. It, yeah, of course, it, it, it it's nice to be able to be casual in the mornings and take your time and drink your coffee. And I sit outside and watch the sun come up and that kind of thing, you know, and that's got its perks also. But I need about two days a week, you know, to, to actually be going in somewhere and doing something. Do you belong to a gym? No, I work out at home. I've got all my stuff. I work out outside, man. All my, all my, I've got about, I got 400 and about 440 pounds here at the house and um, all my stuff's outside and it's all got rust on it. And so it's a little, <laughs> little bit heavier than it's marked, I guess a little okay. bit, but uh, right. I train, I train outdoors and I do a lot of, um, I do a lot of uh, strongman type movements and that kind of stuff, you know? And so I, I ruck, I like to ruck a lot too. So you're, I got you're so, in you're in the uh, deep deep south in the country of uh, mm-hmm. I I should say the state of Alabama. I, yeah. I, when I say the country, you know what I mean in the country. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we um, you know, there's a uh, I've got a four little over a four mile route, a five and a half mile route, and a seven mile route out here that I ruck. You know, so, uh, how much weight do you put on your back? I was uh, a few years ago, I was you know running 75 pounds, but now I've dropped it down. I got a little older, uh, so I've dropped it down to a 45 pound pack now. And that but feels I'll, okay on your lower back? Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah. I don't have I don't have any problems. And I'll I'll typically do about a 15 and a half minute, you know, mile, something like that. And, and you, uh, you, you weren't know. in the military at all, right? 
No, uh, no, I've been a cop my whole life. But yeah, because you started you started uh, working for your department at 18 years old, right? Right. Yeah, I started with the sheriff's office as a dispatcher when I was 18. Yeah. Yeah. So just uh, if you could just uh, repeat your story that you told me yesterday. Um, okay. I know that you know you were adopted, and then mm -hmm. uh, everyone that knew you knew that you, you were going into the field. Right. No doubt. So okay. Actually, I was born in a Salvation Army home for unwed mothers in Birmingham, Alabama. And uh, about I was put up for adoption. And about six months after I was put up for adoption, I was adopted by Dothan, Alabama police detective and his wife, uh, Billy Ray and Marie Hughes. And um, I just I've always known that God had a purpose for my life. And that purpose was to be a law enforcement officer. And, uh, you know, anybody that knew me growing up, they knew that that Andy Hughes was going to be a cop. That's all I ever talked about. All I ever all I ever did as a child, or even as a, an adolescent, or you know, preteen and into my teen years. And uh, you know, I was around my dad and was just really, uh, just you know, it was it was great just being around him, uh, being a cop, and you know, all of his friends. And I was around a lot of good influences uh, from other law enforcement officers. So um, everybody knew me, knew I was going to be a cop, and. At the age of 18, I had the opportunity to go to work with the Houston County, Alabama Sheriff's Office as a dispatcher and at the age of 18. So that's where I started my career. I worked as a dispatcher for about uh, about two years, worked in the county jail for a little while, went back to dispatch. And then uh, in, in December of 1988, I went out onto the to the road as a patrol deputy and um, the height, the height of the crack era. Yeah, it was just a crack was really hitting our area down here in southeast Alabama in the late 80s, uh, early in the, the, the 90s were really the, the peak, you know, but um, and we didn't we didn't know what crack was whenever they first started talking about it, you know, on the streets. We we had actually had a couple of cops that stopped a guy based on some information from a confidential informant and uh, they searched the car and they found the crack and uh, the informant said, didn't y'all get the guy? And they said, well, he didn't have any cocaine in the car. Said all he had was some, they had some kind of rock candy, you know, in the car, but that was it. And they completely overlooked it. You know, that was back oh, in the, God. in the, in the late eighties. But, but yeah, that was a, it was a fun times in law enforcement. And um, I worked in narcotics there at the sheriff's office. And then in 1990, I went over to the Dothan police department, which is a, it's a much larger agency, a little over 200 uh, officer department. And I uh, just had more opportunities for advancement and more opportunities for, you know, training and uh, to be in specialized units and that kind of thing. So I went over to Dothan PD. I spent 16 and a half years there. And in 2006, I ran for sheriff in Houston County and then won in 2006. I took office in 2007. I ran for reelection again in 2010, was reelected to a second term and then I was unopposed uh, running for my third term as sheriff and a, an opportunity came up for me to be appointed as the assistant director of Homeland Security for the state of Alabama. When, when the state consolidated 12 law enforcement agencies into one uh, single uh, state law enforcement agency called ALEA or the Alabama Law Enforcement Agency. And in that role, I functioned as the uh, special operations commander there. I was the um, over SWAT aviation and EOD for the state of Alabama. And then uh, I had 30 years in, in 2016 and retired in 2016. I've been working in the uh, private sector since then. When you were chief, how many men and women did you have under you roughly? Uh, I had about 
probably about 50 there. I mean, a lot less than I'd had as a sheriff, yeah. but, uh, but we had, uh, we had three air bases here in Alabama. We had uh, one, one North one in Montgomery and then one down on the coast. And, uh, we had, uh, 15 aircraft at nine, I believe nine, uh, rotary wing aircraft helicopters. And then the rest of them were fixed wing aircraft. And so uh, I got to do a lot of flying and, uh, that, that's, that's a lot of fun. And uh, got to travel around the state. We put together a the first full time state SWAT team. You know, when I was there at Aaliyah, also, so we were able to to accomplish that. So I I enjoyed my time there, but I, I enjoyed my time at the at the county, the municipal, and the and the state level, and was very fortunate to to gain a lot of valuable valuable experience there. And uh, you know, I hope to pass that on to some of these the younger people that are getting into law enforcement today, which is another issue, as you know, uh, you know, recruiting right now and retention also is a, is a major problem here in the United States. Yeah. They, I think they need to do a little bit of uh, PR similar to what the army did with the commercials, like, you know, be all you be, can be. Um, I know the budgets are an issue. You know, they don't have these big budgets to put out millions of dollars of, of commercials but i think they could do definitely they could do some youtube you know that, that's an idea that i just had just now they could link up with some creators and create some commercials for recruiting you know well something like that definitely appeals to the uh to the the younger crowd now yes. that are that are interested in law enforcement as a career uh you know and i've kind of got a theory I, I really don't believe that we can recruit individuals into law enforcement I think we have to inspire future generations of law enforcement officers. And, uh, you know, we've, we've got to inspire them. We've got to tell them the truth. And uh, one of my pet peeves, man, is to hear a, a, a cop now, an active law enforcement officer or a retired law enforcement officer say, I wouldn't encourage anybody to get into law enforcement uh, today. Well, you fool, if you don't, then what's the future of our country going to look like? Where is law uh -huh. Where are we going to get law enforcement officers from? Now, we need to be up front with these these individuals that we're trying to inspire it's it's a hard it's a hard job but mm -hmm. it's a it's a great job it's very fulfilling it, it's a great it's a great job it's it's a very hard job and make, make no mistake about it right it's hard right. on the emotions it's hard on the family it's hard on the stress uh you know yesterday we talked about keeping yourself in shape and mm -hmm. how like you had instituted when uh when you were the big man you instituted some uh, some PT requirements, which which I just think is incredible, and I don't know why more departments don't do it. But uh, you know, if you could talk about that, yeah, you know, I, I think physical fitness uh, is a is a big part of law enforcement. Uh, you need to be physically fit to do your job, not only to uh, to be able to do your job, but to be able to protect yourself so that you can go home to your family at night or in the morning, whatever, depending on what shift you're on. And so you can also serve your fellow officers because I mean, you've been there. I'm sure I've been there too. When you're out, you're out fighting with a suspect and he's giving you pretty much all you can handle. And then you've got another officer over here who is physically inadequate and, and has no uh, combat skills or anything whatsoever. I mean, you, a lot of times you'd rather them just not even be there at all. You'd rather be fighting this, uh, this individual by yourself out there, you know, and, uh, you know, a lot of people don't realize, and, and this kind of brings me to another point, you know, we've had all these people in the public now 
And they're, they're saying, well, listen, we don't need to be training cops as warriors. They don't, you don't need to be giving them warrior skills. Well, I have to disagree with that. And a lot of people say, well, we're not in a battle. Well, yes, we are in a battle. We're in a battle daily of good versus evil, right versus wrong, and lawful versus unlawful. Every single day that we put that uniform on and go out to work, that's the battle that we're in. And we need those warrior skills. Now, on the flip side of that, you also need to be a guardian. You also need to be a public servant and you also need to be a peacekeeper, but you also need to be able to transition between all of those roles. If, if you truly want to be an effective law enforcement officer, you've got to be able to be all of those things. And you've got to be able to transition between those roles multiple times during your shift or your tour of duty. Also, sometimes, you truly sometimes want to be you're the shield and sometimes you're the sword. Exactly. That's a, that's a, that's a great quote right there. Exactly. That's and, a, uh, that's but, a, you know, uh, that's an original super Dave. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> that's a good one. I'm going to have to write that down, but you know, uh, these, these people out here, we don't need to be training cops. Uh, you know, they, they, they need to be, you know, easy. And, and, and I'm, I'm the type and I always told my people, and this was kind of my philosophy was just like Patrick Swayze said in the movie roadhouse, be nice until it's time not to be nice. You know, and we can't always be nice when we do our jobs as law enforcement officers, but we can always be professional. Yes. So that, that's that's my theory on on the use of force and, and, and being a guardian or a warrior, a public servant and a peacekeeper. We, we need to be all of those things. I've seen video where uh, guys were on camera and being extremely professional and it just elevated to a level where everyone in the comments was like, that cop was being so professional. <laughs> that guy didn't mm -hmm. have to take it there, you know? Right, and, exactly. and, and I believe that video is allowing people to see how irrational uh, people can be when mm -hmm. dealing with officers. You know, like you show up to scenes where people are having their worst day and their emotions are extremely high. And the best officers are able to de-escalate and go into a scene and keep their emotions in check. And when they need to take it up a level, they can take it up that level, you know, when they, right. when they need to. Those those right. are the very best officers. Um, you know, there's, I, there, there's really only two kinds. In, in law enforcement, there are really only two kinds of people that we deal with daily. And that's bad people and good people who are having a bad day. You know, you're either dealing with a criminal, a thug, a murderer, a robbery suspect, a burglar, a thief, or you're dealing with someone who uh, their child is lost uh, or their parent who has dementia has wandered off or they've been in a, a traffic accident or they've had their lawnmower stolen or whatever the case may be. But typically that's the only kind of people we deal with in law enforcement on a daily basis. Yes. And you need to be, it's extremely important to be discerning and be able to tell who's who very quickly right. and mm -hmm. what you're dealing with, you know, like, is yeah. this a good person who's having a bad day or is this a bad person? And, you know, I may need to take action and do what I need to do. I trained yeah. jujitsu uh, from the day I started the job, martial arts, jujitsu from the day I started. And I tell every officer in uniform, like you need to be, it doesn't have to be jujitsu, but you need to be training something. And uh, my partner, my old partner was big into boxing and we used to always get into the uh, disagreement of how bad boxing would look on camera. <laughs> you know, yep. like in today's day and age, everything is on video. So I just feel and I also understand my old my first Kempo instructor was a uh, corrections 
officer and he he used to he hated anything with grappling and he used to always say why do you want to be on the ground with someone and i say i don't want to be but eventually you're gonna have to you're gonna have to take them down and get get a hold of their arms you know so uh he just didn't believe in any kind of grappling whatsoever he was uh it was all upper body and uh and i hated katas i told you this yesterday i hated no, no. i hated katas i just it felt like it was cheerleading to me and i was yeah. just like i i i wanted and then i saw hoist gracie <laughs> and i said what is that i yeah. saw hoist gracie and um i saw him doing jujitsu and i said and he was a small guy too so i'm not you know i've mm -hmm. always been around him, 150 pounds i'm not a big guy so uh he was he was 160 when he was fighting in the ufc against guys that were 225 pounds and mm -hmm. he was taking a little bit of a beating but he was able to defend himself yeah and yeah. uh you know, I've, I've been a fan ever since go ahead go ahead what were we gonna say yeah well it you know it's a mixture and, and the thing about it people, people don't realize is it, strength training or martial arts what you can do in the gym what you can do in the dojo does not necessarily translate into what is going to happen on the street yes you know it's, it's, <laughs> it's a lot about mindset your mentality yes. and and your drive and that kind of thing also. So, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of, a lot of guys that could do everything in the gym, but when it comes to the street, it's, it was a totally different, <laughs> totally different story. You know? Yeah. Put, it putting, is. putting up uh, 350, 400 pounds on the bench. But yeah. um, honestly, the greatest skill that anyone could work on is their verbal skills, their verbal mm -hmm. judo. And, uh, and that's why almost, anyone is able to do the job even people that are out of shape because uh it's it's all in how you come across to people and how you you know how you speak to people the respect you show your your right. command presence um i don't recommend anyone being out of shape <laughs> you know yeah. i'm very anti anti out of shape because uh they do judge you the minute you step out of that car yep um but with that said you can be out of shape and still do the job if you have good verbal skills. And, uh, you know, that, that is your first line of defense. I, I talked way more people into cuffs than I, than I wrestled into cuffs, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, and, uh, another thing too, is, you know, I, I transitioned from being a deputy sheriff in a, in a rural County where a lot of times there were maybe one, two deputies out working in the whole, you know, almost 600 square mile area. And backup was nowhere close. If you had any available that could be to you within, you know, 30 minutes or an hour. So, oh you know, you, 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 you learned to, uh, to talk to people, you know, either that, or you, you, you got back in the car and he's like, I'll be back later with a couple of buddies, you know, we'll come back <laughs> and get you. Either that, or, you know, you're out there with your shirt torn off of you and the guys in handcuffs and both of you are bloodied up a little bit and that kind of thing. So, but you know, these people that, uh, these people that decry the warrior skills and say, we don't need to be teaching cops as warriors. They're also the same people that have never been in a schoolyard fight, much less a fight over their weapon in a dark alley or along a long, lonesome country highway somewhere with no backup in sight. So, you know, I don't worry about those people and, uh, they, they can't judge cops that have been in situations where their life has been in danger. Yeah, I don't think anyone can judge until you're put in that situation where you're fighting for your life. Um, thank God I was never in a situation like that because I really believe that 99.9% .9 of the people, of the bad guys, they just want to get away from you. Right. 
they, they want to run. And then you have that 1% of the 1% who they're like, if a cop stops me, I'm going to hurt them. You know, that's, right. that's a very small percentage, but you never know who that, per, who that individual is. So you have to train and you have to stay ready for that individual. Right. Cause the number one goal is to go home to your, to your family. Right. That's the number one exactly. goal, right? That's, exactly. that's what I was taught. That the number one goal is to go home safe at the end of the day. That's why everywhere, everyone across the country says, stay safe, you know? Right. Yeah. Uh, what are you doing on the speaking, on the speaking end? Of well, I've got a, I've got a presentation that, 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 that God had given me a couple of years ago. It's entitled Bear the Sword. Uh, part of it's based upon Romans 13, 4 in the Bible. And, and this verse is what actually, uh, where God talks about the law enforcement officer and, you know, what our mission is and, and lets the public know what the law enforcement officer's mission is. And it says, for he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that, which is evil, be afraid for he beareth not the sword in vain for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. And that's basically saying the law enforcement officer, you know, we're, we're doing God's work and we're, we're keeping people in line. We're keeping the peace. We're enforcing the law. And the sword doesn't necessarily uh, translate into a weapon, but it translates also into the authority that we have to take people into custody, to make arrests, to conduct investigations, to put those people you know, through the court system and uh, ultimately bring justice to, to them as a criminal and bring justice forth for for any victims that might be involved also. But, uh, you know, I, I, I do do some public speaking uh, for a couple of different organizations and on my own and uh, present this Bear the Sword. And, and Bear the Sword is, is, is meant to inspire future generations of law enforcement officers and to inspire future generations of law enforcement leadership and supporters of law enforcement. You know, we, uh, we can't do this job alone. We need public support. You know, Sir, Sir Robert Peel, in England, you know, way, way back, he had the nine principles of uh, policing that he developed. And one of them stated that the police are the public and the public are the police. And it's uh, really good. I'm writing that down. Yeah. Go the ahead. police are the public and the public are the police. Now, think about that for a minute. There's around 330 million people in this country. And last count, I had 800, maybe 850,000 cops. Who are the who are the real police in, in this nation? We we have to have a majority of public support in order to do our jobs. You know, never pandering to political parties or special interest groups, but we have to have that majority of public support. And and we need it. We can't do our job on our own. How how many cases have you ever seen? You're an investigator. How many cases have you ever seen that was solved solely on physical evidence or or DNA or whatever the case may be? Very few. No, it's it, from it's it, from it's from people who want to help and want to see, you know, anyone who is a homeowner and anyone who's ever been a victim of a crime, they know that at one point in time, they either were happy the police were there or they they are glad that they know they have access to call the police if they need. So, like, I, I've been a homeowner for a long time and um Everyone in most of the people in my neighborhood, I told you this yesterday, are homeowners. And my neighborhood in particular has strong support for the police. You know, you see you see it everywhere. And, um, you know, I, I think that the majority of communities where people are homeowners. Or 
or they've been witness to or victims of crime, they support the police. It's the people that don't really think that they'll ever need the police. <laughs> There's a song where um, the guy says he's getting jumped and it, and he's getting he's getting uh, stomped by a bunch of guys. And he said, you know, I'm not really a fan of the boys in blue, but hallelujah <laughs> to when they showed up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, everyone, um, a lot of people talk bad about defense attorneys until you actually need one, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, it, it, law enforcement has always been a difficult profession because cops are expected to be everything to everybody. And, you know, we're the ones that people call when they don't know who else to call. Yes. Uh, you know, so, you know, I'm, I, I've always hated to hear a cop say, well, that's not my job. Well, maybe it's not in your job description, but it is your job to let's see if we can get these people the help that they, that they actually need, you know, whether it be a, a religious organization or the Salvation Army or the Red Cross or, you know, your local homeless shelter or, or, or wherever that you need to refer these people to, to get the help that they need. You know, that, that's, that's part of our job. And that's the, that's the public servant part of the job. I got to tell you a quick story that you just brought to mind when I was a brand new rookie on field training, my field training officer, it was uh, middle of summer. It was like an August day and it was like a hot, humid, 90 degree day. And there was a um, woman on the side of the road and he said, uh, we're going to help this woman. <laughs> and we got out and helped her change her tire. Mm -hmm. And uh, a passerby actually caught, caught it on camera and we ended up making like the local, the local news. But I remember... Mm -hmm. I remember getting in the car and just dripping sweat. Like, <laughs> you know, like we were just like, and I was like pulling the vest out to give it some some air, you know, uh, you know, pulling the vest away from my chest to just give it some air. And we were just drenched with sweat. And yeah. I was thinking, I'm like, man, why do we do that? And he he taught me a really valuable lesson that day. It's like, you know, we're here to serve people that need help. <clears throat> And I, I knew that, uh, you know, when people call 911, you're there to show up and serve. But you're also there to serve when people aren't asking for help. When you just see someone in need, you're right. you're there to serve. Yeah. Well, a let's, very let's valuable lesson. Yeah. Well, let's go back to that verse that I was talking about in the Bible, Romans 13, 4. The first part of that verse said, for he is the minister of God to thee for good. You know, that's the biggest part of our jobs is, is helping people. Okay, we all enjoy the, the foot pursuits, the vehicular pursuits, you know, all the fun, exciting stuff and all that. But that's a, that's, that's a minuscule part of, of our jobs. You know, our jobs are pretty much about 90% uh, boredom and 10% sheer excitement and fear. But, uh, you know, that, that doing good and helping people is the biggest part of our job. And uh, we need to make sure that we fulfill that role, that you don't bypass somebody that needs help, uh, that needs our help uh, while you're looking for something else or you're like, I don't have time to fool with that. I, I want to do something exciting, whatever the case may be. But we, you know, the, it's a it's a very complex job. It, it really is. Law enforcement is a very complex job. And then law enforcement leadership is even a, more of a complex job. And some of the law enforcement leaders that we have today uh, I'll tell you what, I'm really disappointed in some of them because they are pandering 
uh, to some of these special interest groups and political parties. And it's like I like to say, we need law enforcement leaders in this country that are more concerned with the mission than they are with their position. Mm, and uh, a lot a of a lot quote. of leaders. That's a great. <laughs> a lot of their. A lot of these leaders are like they're more you know they're more concerned with uh you know their 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 you know appearance their their rank uh you know when 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 I was sheriff and I wore a uniform I never wore anything on my collars or anything to to let anybody even know that that I was a sheriff no stars or you know eagles or anything like that you know and uh, but they need to be concerned about the mission first and and not about. Uh, making more money or writing a book or what I'm going to do after retirement, you know, how's this setting me up for, for post-retirement? Yeah. You need to have a retirement plan and what you want to do post-retirement, but that should not be your main concern while you're functioning as a law enforcement leader. I, you brought up retirement. How long has it been now? I've been retired since 2016, almost seven, seven years now. And uh, I'll go ahead and tell you, I miss it every single day. I miss the sense of mission. I miss the the sense of purpose that uh, that you have in law enforcement. I don't miss a lot of the the, the small things and the complaints and uh, some of the, the politics that are involved and that kind of thing. But I miss the excitement and the sense of mission and the camaraderie every single day. I think I won't miss uh, the paperwork. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the paperwork. I think that's what I won't miss. But you still have an opportunity to be around a lot of law enforcement agencies because you're still in a uh, teaching and training position. I think you just need to do more of that. Yeah. I mean, I, I really enjoy uh, and I, I think this is my purpose in life now. My mission in life now is to to inspire future generations. And if I can mentor and, and nurture law enforcement officers and future leaders. And I think that's that's every law enforcement leader's mission there is to make sure that we're mentoring and nurturing those future leaders. And and that goes back to another point there on our recruitment and, and inspiring future generations. You know, I see agencies today that are hiring cops. They're hiring people to be cops uh, just to merely fill vacant positions that they have. And they're, they're really getting substandard people. Some of these agencies are lowering their standards, whether it be uh, for arrest or for be, you know, physical standards or whatever the case may be, they're lowering their standards. Well, do they not realize that the pool that they're putting into place now is also the same pool that you're going to select leadership from in 10 years from now? So, uh, you know, we're hiring substandard law enforcement officers, some agencies are, and then in the future, you're going to have substandard leaders also. And that's, that's definitely another concern there. But, you know, I, I enjoy being being able to go around and talk and, uh, you know, kind of minister to, to law enforcement officers and talk to them and, and agencies. And uh, I also work with a, my full time retirement job is with a company called First Guard. And we provide off duty law enforcement officers for different security projects all over the country and help law enforcement agencies make sure that their officers are, you know, paid, uh, paid in a timely manner and also uh, you know, fully insured while they're working on these off off-duty jobs. And then I work with a, a another company also as an advisor with a company called Performance Protocol, which uh, was previously uh, Axon Coaching. And uh, we uh, provide coaching services for, for law enforcement officers. So I'm, I'm starting to do some speaking uh, at some summits for law enforcement leadership for Performance Protocol also. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I definitely want to follow in your footsteps. I have uh, three... I say three, three last questions for you. 
Okay. Um, how do you uh, how do you reduce stress now? Like when you're starting to feel a little stressed out, since you don't have to go to work, what what's your stress reliever? How do you show yourself yeah. love? You know, I, I guess I've been just lucky with my personality, uh, but I, I I don't really get stressed out. Uh, I I really don't uh I don't get uptight about anything, and I guess that's 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 a blessing, and I guess it can be a curse also. But you know, is that I, I pre is that pre retirement same same oh, person, yeah, that, or is that post retirement? That was, no, that was pre retirement too. I just I've just never been the type to get really uptight or upset or or stressed about anything whatsoever. You know, but um, but you know now and and prior to that too is you know I, I live I live way out from way out in the country and. Uh, no Wi-Fi, so, you told me yesterday. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no Wi-Fi here or anything like that. So crazy. I live way out. So it's just uh, it's nature and it's woods and wildlife. You know, I wake up in the morning and there are eight or ten dark, uh, deer in my yard. You know, and that kind of thing. And so uh, I really have it lucky there. You know, I try to maintain my physical fitness. I'm you know 55, knocking on 56 now, but I always want to be uh, be in shape and uh, always want to be relevant. So uh, I try to keep myself in shape and, and just in, enjoy enjoy the outdoors and enjoy uh, working out. You know, so what's, that's, your, that's what uh, I, what's your best strength, your best ability? My best ability? Uh, you talking about overall? Yeah. What's what's ability? what's your strength if you could narrow yeah. it down to like one particular attribute? I've never. I've always told people I've never been particularly good at anything. I would never call my myself an expert at anything, even though I've been fortunate to have a lot of experience. But I think my biggest attribute would be being able to put the team together needed to do a job. I've that, always been able to, to put the right strong. people in the right. Yeah. You know, you know, to select the right people to help me complete a project or a task. And I, I think as a as a law enforcement leader, that was that was where I was the strongest was was putting together the, the right team to to do the job. All right. My last question, because yep. I respect your time and I appreciate you sure. hopping on. Uh, if you had a comic book superpower, what would it be <laughs> and why? Oh, man, that's a tough question there. Uh, comic books. Well, you could take the easy the easy one is, uh, you know, Superman powers like fly and. <laughs> shoot lasers from yeah. your eyes but um would it be speed invisibility flight i think it would be the ability to uh transport myself you know immediately to anywhere i needed to be so you just close your eyes and you're yeah. there blink your eyes and, and and be wherever i needed to be so i could do whatever i needed to do teleportation teleportation that is a uh incredible <laughs> incredible power and yeah. uh yeah that sounds pretty cool yeah. i Andy, I I really appreciate you hopping on. Sure. Uh, it's it's been really fun getting to know your story and getting to know you for the last couple of days. I, I just want to say thank you for all of your years of service and all of the work that you continue to do. Um, sure. You are a hero to me, and I respect everything that you've done in your career, and I appreciate it too. And I just wanted mm -hmm. to publicly say that to you, face to face. One day I'll shake your hand and say thank you for hopping on. Sure. But. Uh, yeah, thank you for all of your years of public service and all the work that you continue to do.
it was it was my pleasure, and I, I would I'd do it all over again, probably for free if I could. But you know, <laughs> David, there, there's there's three there's three things that I, I want to say this real quick, and I know you've got a time limit on your podcast too, but um, there's three things uh, with the Bear the Sword project that that I try to aim to accomplish. The first thing I want to do is honor. We want to honor those law enforcement officers who have given their life during the line of duty. We want to honor their families who were left behind. And we want to honor those who have been been uh, either disabled in the line of duty and can't work anymore. And also those who have spent a 20, 30, 40 year career in law enforcement. We want to honor those individuals. Secondly, we want to encourage, only encourage those law enforcement officers who are out there today who are showing up to work in spite of, you know, low numbers, low staffing, high call volume, and maybe lack of leadership in their agency. And they still continue to show up every single day and serve the citizens of their community. We need to make sure that we're encouraging those individuals to keep on, to keep pressing the fight, to go to work every day and do what's right. And uh, thirdly, we want to inspire. We need to inspire future generations of law enforcement officers, because if we don't have future generations of cops in this country, what do you think it would look like? I mean, anarchy and chaos would reign without law enforcement in our nation. And so I mean, it would be it'd be a terrible place to live. It would be a third world country or, or worse. Some of our cities already are third world countries, basically, uh, due to poor leadership, mainly. I know but, I've um, seen I've seen some incredibly sad videos of uh Portland and I'll just name them Los Angeles. Oh yeah. Like I'll, yeah. I'll name them. I don't care. I don't live there. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's I'm... a, go ahead. When, when I think about the future of law enforcement in this country, and I think about, you know, where are we going to get uh, future law enforcement officers from and, and the need to inspire them? You know, I think about uh, the lyrics to an old George Jones song. It says, who's going to fill their shoes. Who's going to stand that tall. Lord, I wonder who's going to fill their shoes. And we need to be wondering who, who are going to fill the shoes of, of, you know, myself. I've been out of law enforcement for several years. Cops who have retired since I've retired. Cops who are, are there now that will retire in the future. And maybe some of those that will, will leave law enforcement for whatever reason also. Who's going to fill their shoes? And we need to make sure that we have support for these people. We need to make sure that we're inspiring future generations of, of law enforcement officers. And the best ones that can do that are cops, former cops, retired cops. Thank you so much, Andy. Don't don't hang up. Just hang out. Okay. All right, all right, family. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Everyone I interview, I've chosen for you guys because of their story. And I hope that you get some value every single time. If you did get value or just just simply enjoyed the episode, please share the episode with someone that you know. If you know of a guest, a frontline hero that has an amazing story, something uplifting or a positive message, hit me up in the contact form of www.davidleith.com or DM me at Instagram at davidleith1. Subscribe to the show because I have some really phenomenal guests coming up in the next few weeks that you definitely don't want to miss. All right, one.